Welcome to another fantastic episode of Fresh Brewed Politics. As promised, I said that when the session started, we'd be getting a little more podcast action from me, and that's certainly what you're going to get. So here I am delivering, and I thank you guys for joining me and for listening in. If you're listening to this on a replay, as in you're on Facebook or YouTube and you're watching the video and you want to take it on the go, this is available in a podcast form. You can go on Spotify and Apple and everywhere where podcasts are distributed and you can go to a Fresh Brood Politics is that name. And you, if you're watching live, and I see you guys out there watching live, go ahead and hit that share button for me. I want to talk about Senate Bill 1 and the 40% tax increase and kind of break it down and keep you guys informed. As always, please, if you have any questions, concerns, or issues, you can email me at andrew at cooperwriter4ky.com. And also you can visit um, andrew, the number 4ky.com, and you can check out the campaign page and donate there. And as always, please hit that share button and let's talk about SB1. So SB1 cleared the Senate today. Now, what is it? In order to understand what SB1 is, you need to know what these SBDMs and know um, that it isn't a weird thing. It is site-based decision-making councils, SBDM. What is that? Well, every school has a site-based decision-making council. And for some of you, you may already know this, so if you do, I'm sorry, hit the fast-forward button, or if you're watching live, just let my cool voice waft over you. What they are is they are councils made up of teachers, administrators, and parents. It's typically two parents, uh, three teachers, and one administrator. Now, site-based councils are able to be bigger, but they have to move by the same multiple. So site-based council can be as big as you know two administrators and six teachers and four parents, or however you want to do it. Now, this site-based council is, is in control of curriculum, uh, hiring and firing of principals to a degree, we'll kind of go into that, and a lot of other things. And these site-based councils, what they, uh, how they work or how they're elected is that the parents of students, and these, these elections are typically put on by the PTA, elect parents to represent them on the council. Teachers elect teachers that go to that school to elect them on the council. And then the administrators are appointed by the principal. And so this council, uh, as far as hiring and firing goes, this council makes recommendations to the superintendent or to the um, central office. Which, fun fact about Fayette County Public Schools, some of you may be unaware, I just found this out yesterday. Over the last 10 years, central office has more than doubled in size. In, in the number of staff. I find that fascinating. Um, so anyways, so they recommend a principal or staff to the uh, superintendent and the superintendent can decide to hire or fire that individual. If, or, or I'm sorry, or hire that individual. If they wanna hire them, uh, then they say, okay. If they don't wanna hire them, they then turn back to the site-based councils and ask them for a new recommendation. So the superintendent's not able to go out there and just find their own principal. The idea behind this was you had site-based councils that understood and could control that specific situation. Now, there's a lot of issues people have with these site-based councils, and they're going to differ based upon where you live. I'll give you an example. If you live in a more rural part of Kentucky, in a 
uh, or or just even a smaller county. Um, for an example, a neighboring county to me is Jesmond County. I believe Jesmond County has one. They have one elementary school specifically for kindergarten to like third grade. And then I think they have two or three elementary schools, two middle schools, and two high schools. So they don't have a large number of schools. Some counties even are sharing schools with other counties and things like that. But then you have places like Jefferson, Fayette, Northern Kentucky, where, you know, I don't even know how many elementary schools we have, but it's, it's a fair amount. I believe we have somewhere around at least what is it, 100 schools or 50 schools or so. It's, it's high. It's really high. Jefferson, Jefferson County, I know, has tons of schools. And so the issue becomes, and this was something actually brought up on the floor by uh, a, a Democrat when they were discussing this bill, Senate Bill 1, uh, on the floor, was that in a town like Jefferson County, you may move all through high school from school to school to school to school. I'm sorry, or all through elementary school, middle school, high school. You may be moving around schools, two or three schools during your elementary time. That's not too crazy, you know, especially if you're renting. You may move around or try to move into better school districts as you can afford better school districts. But the problem is, is that where every single place gets to set their own curriculum, there is no set curriculum across the district. That is some cause of concern. The other issue is, is that um, when you have these site-based councils that people are concerned about, is that you have a, a um, you have right now how the council set up where it's majority of teachers and it's not majority parent, the parents' voices don't really matter in the drowned out. In fact, a lot of people like to claim that in site-based councils, it's hard to get parents to even partake in it. But the big reason why is because the parents' voices don't matter on these site-based councils. So you end up with the teachers kind of setting it. And there's been a couple of situations that, uh, as I've learned more about this bill and I've talked to more people about it, where these site-based uh, councils um, tend to be, here sorry somebody said my audio might be a little off let's see here oh yep that is there we go how's that guys that better audio sorry about that thank you for letting me know about my audio situation so there has been situations where the the site-based councils have pushed back against the wish of the parents such as uh maybe one that comes to mind might be some situations about um some situations about like trips or things like that where maybe parents don't want to go, but the teachers like to go on these school trips that are overnight and things like that because, well, the schools pay for a trip and it's a free trip for the teachers. And so these site-based councils decide to put on these field trips sometimes that then everybody else disagrees with. Uh, the teachers don't want to do anymore. There's there's a situation that was described to me where that occurred in one school where the where the parents didn't want to do the field trip anymore, but the site-based council teachers wanted to keep doing it. So they decided to go ahead and um, do the trip anyways against the parents' wishes. Now, of course, you don't have to send your kids on it, but the school's paying for all these teachers to go on this now free trip. And so there's some situations like that. Now, where this reared its ugly head and why Senate Bill 1 even came about was this past year with this whole, uh, with, with as we've been dealing with CRT and these gender theory issues and all kinds of other issues that we see being taught in our schools that we, as individuals, sometimes or, or oftentimes disagree with. And what that means is, is, is well, 
correction. We had issues with that. And then what happened was is the legislator held some hearings about it. Uh, Lockett, Representative Lockett out of Jesmond County, uh, proposed uh, BR-69, which has become a House bill number that I should have researched before I came on. Um, sorry, but it's, it, it wouldn't be BR-69 anymore. It'd be called something else because the session has started. But um, see, if, pull that up, Nick. Thanks. <laughs> um, so anyways, um, we're going to see if we can find that. So he proposed this bill. So they're doing hearings on this bill about CRT, about this gender stuff, about everything they're being taught. And when they started questioning the uh, state superintendent and they started questioning people and they're asking, well, who's in control of the curriculum? Who's in control of it? And they started to find out that at first after some points and well, they're in charge of it. Well, they kind of advise the, the, the state superintendents kind of have their minimum standards that they ensure. And then the districts have their suggested curriculum that comes out of their central offices. And then the, the site-based councils can, as long as they're hitting these minimums, can decide to adopt or not adopt or do this or do that or what have you, whatever makes sense. And what is it? House Bill 18 is what BR69 was. So House Bill 18. And so it got frustrating for the legislators because they couldn't pin down who's in charge of curriculum as they're trying to hit something head on that their constituents are concerned about, the CRT, this gender stuff. And so they got frustrated by it. And I think that's what spawned this bill to come out. Now, the people who don't like the site-based councils, I find typically don't like them because they haven't worked for good education. And the reason why is because, frankly, the teachers are in control of them, not the parents that go to that school. Now, the other thing is, is it takes away the ability for people who are accountable to all voters to be accountable for the curriculum. Now, that brings up an interesting conversation. Do you, as a person who doesn't have a child, have the ability as much? To, do, you, do you get to dictate the curriculum for the school? Do you get to have a voice in that? Now, the argument would be yes, some argument would be no. Now, right now, how it's set up, I would argue your voice is coming down from the board, the school board, which handles mainly the money side of things. That's what their job is, allocate and hand out funds. So obviously, they can attach strings to those funds. They can ask questions if they wanted to, if they weren't trying to pass the buck for getting blamed for things right now. However, one argument could be, and, and you know, I don't fall any certain way on this bill. I just think it's an important bill and it'll have important ramifications for our schools. So as I, as I bring out each viewpoint, don't think it's mine necessarily. I'm trying to accurately represent all viewpoints on this subject, okay? So one viewpoint is that these, these superintendent, these, these, sorry, these councils, these councils are not uh, accountable to the voters as a whole. But the school boards are accountable to the voters as a whole. Now, why do you get to vote on who's running the schools if you don't have children? Well, the answer is obvious, because you pay taxes, right? So you are funding the education. That's why you get any voice at all if you don't have children. Now, if you weren't funding the education, like if I take my kid to a private school, it should be none of your business, none of it at all what they're being taught, and you should get no say-so. That should be all on me. If I'm paying it all myself, I'm the parent. I get to decide, right? So the thought is, is that, well, by having a um, the, the school board um, in charge of it, 
or in charge of finances that the voice of all the voters are heard over the financial things. Now, the question becomes, because you pay taxes, your voice is heard on how to handle the money on these school boards. But is your voice, uh, does your voice matter as much? Okay, now follow me here. Stick with me as I try to represent this viewpoint as best I can. Does your voice matter into the actual curriculum itself more than the parent of the child that is getting the teaching? And what I mean by that is this, is that under current site-based councils, what, what happens is, is the curriculum is decided each school. Now, what if we took these site-based councils, and this is something that um, I, I was definitely more on the side of, I've heard SB1 talked about, though, and now I'm, like I said, I'm super in the middle on this, is that we take the site-based councils and we just change the ratios. Because remember, it's right now the, the ratio is a admin, three teachers, two parents. Well, what if we cut down the number of teachers by one? So there's one admin and two teachers. And then it could be four parents. Or better yet, why don't we take the site-based councils and say they are nothing but five parents and a couple of teachers and the principal get to have an advisory non-voting role on the board to represent the teachers and the principal's viewpoints. So that way the, the control of the education is completely in the hands of the parents of kids that go to that school. Now there's people out there who say, look, I'm a grandparent. I should get a say so. Or look, I'm a taxpayer. I want to say so in what these kids are being taught because I'm funding it. And do they have a point? Maybe they do. Now, they have a say-so over the money through the school boards right now, but do they have a say-so over the curriculum that that money's funding? See, that's the question, right? Or does the parent, should the parent get better choice? Now, one could argue, and, and, and this is an argument that, uh, a discussion I have with somebody, not an argument, I have discussions with my friends, and this is a discussion I had with somebody where I said, look, we're all about school choice. I'm 100% supportive of school choice. Where parents get to take a voucher-type system of what we were paying public schools to educate these children, and instead they can take it to a school of their choice that teaches and does what they want. So if you're in favor of school choice, it is hard for me to see how you would say, well, no, we want necessarily a say-so over another person's child's curriculum because school choice is all about parents having a choice of curriculum and then them being rewarded or punished on the free market for that decision. Now, on the flip side of that argument, I know I'm getting super technical, so bear with me and hit the share button because I know this is interesting to a lot of people. On the flip side of that argument, you can say, well, we don't have school choice right now. And so because we don't have school choice right now, there isn't a free market of ideas. And so comparing the site-based councils, even making majority parent with school choice is wrong because in a school choice system, a school with bad ideas, so let's say in this case, a school was being run by a board of parents, like what changing the site-based councils would look like, where it has a board of parents running it. And so let's say you have a, a school that's being completely run by the parents where they're dictating everything. Well, if that school does badly, it would go out of business in the school choice method, meaning that we wouldn't be funding bad schools. 
But the thought process is, is that, well, with these site-based councils, what if you get a bunch of parents who come in here and they start to change it up and they start teaching a lot of liberal things. And then I'm funding now a bunch of liberal things. I don't like that compared to under the school choice thing. If they were going to a liberal school, that school would eventually, the idea would be on the market, the free market of ideas would eventually go out of business. That's a, that's an argument there. And then the other argument on top of this whole thing is, is also coming from now on not changing the site-based council. So there's a couple of viewpoints here. You got people who are viewing saying, hey, don't take away the power of the curriculum and the hiring firing from the site-based councils, but instead make the site-based councils majority parent. So parents can make the decisions for the children of what they want to learn and then make the elections for the site-based councils standardized. And in the evening, because right now they are, they've got like some windows, but it's like noon to like four on a Thursday. And so they don't get a lot of parents that come in and vote. I mean, the question would be for all of you out there who have public kids who go to public schools here in Kentucky, are you aware that there is a site-based council even going on at your school? Exactly. You're, you're, you're pretty much probably unaware of it. So one argument is, let's make the councils bigger. And of more parents, sorry, not bigger, the majority of parents, so parents can make the decisions over curriculum in the schools, but it's only the parents of kids who go to that exact school. The other argument is, now this argument is coming from the school unions and everything else. They don't want it touched at all. The reason why they don't want it touched is because they like the fact that teachers get to, get to control the curriculum being taught in their schools. And if you take it out of the control of the, the, the teachers and give it to what SB1 does, the superintendent, who's sort of kind of under the control of the board, the school board, we'll get to that here in a second. Um, if you take it out of control of the teachers, but instead give it uh, and leave it there, then in turn now, uh, the teachers can't control the curriculum, can't control what's going on in the school. So we know why the school unions are upset about SB1, because teachers are not getting to control what's being taught to kids quite as much. And no matter what, whether it's SB1 uh, is the solution or it's mixing those site-based councils by increasing the parents, regardless, it's about getting more control into the hands of parents over the education of children. So, so we've kind of talked about the there's some downsides to even increasing the site-based councils to be majority parent. The downside being is you wouldn't have a um, collective, uh, a normalized and standardized curriculum across the schools that you can hold people accountable to. The other negative to this is it if if this is something you're concerned about, is it locks out the voice of taxpayers that don't have school children over the curriculum being taught uh, without their input, okay? The other negative side uh, um, to increasing the site-based councils would be that where we don't have full and complete school choice, what it means is, is that the free market of ideas will not reward schools that choose better curriculums that teach children better. And instead, it, bad schools with bad site-based councils will be propped up by the taxpayer, while good schools with good site-based councils made up of parents that are, are teaching children the proper things will not be rewarded by doing that by increasing the number of students, making that school more successful. Instead, we'll have some of the policies like we see in Jefferson County and elsewhere where they try to equalize out schools and, and that would go on, right? 
And so not saying that necessarily those policies are wrong. I'm just saying those are the negatives. Now, so the plan SB1 puts forward is, is it moves the hiring and firing of principals to the superintendent, which means the principals now are directly uh, uh, accountable to the superintendent. And it moves curriculum to being in charge by the superintendent. Now, this could be good. This could be bad. And it depends. Now, here's my arguments, okay? One is, is it increases the stakes. Uh, and here's my arguments against. Well, not my arguments. Here's the arguments against. Here's the arguments for. Arguments for site-based councils have failed. Arguments are uh, all the negatives I just said about site-based councils, that they're controlled by the teachers. Uh, uh, arguments against increasing the parent controls. You don't have standardized curriculum, and you're locking out taxpayers. Arguments uh, against the the giving it to the superintendent is this one we now have an unelected bureaucrat in charge of the curriculum now they are accountable to the school board but who else are they accountable to well they're also accountable to the state superintendent the kentucky department of education which means if now the superintendent has control over it now let's all rewind for a second to the whole mask mandate situation that started out our school year where kde put down a mask mandate and said this is a mass mandate and everybody's going to follow it. And they were required to, and all these, all these places and, and superintendents and schools were like, KDE said we had to do it. We have to do it. Now, some said, hold on a second. I don't know if you have that power and decide to try to fight back. But KDE does have control over a lot of what these schools do. So if you're moving curriculum to the superintendent, does now the KDE and the state superintendent of schools have control over what your child learns? Are we centralizing power too much? Now, Republicans that are that are in the legislature could be not be worried about this because they know that a Republican governor is taking over, or they believe that it is, and, and chances are it is. However, let's not forget we're under Bashir right now. And the question we have to ask ourselves, does SB1 give Governor Bashir more control over your parents' curriculum than he has now? And do you want that? I know I wouldn't want my child to be under more control from Annie Bashir's uh, situation. So that's of some concern. The other concern here is when it comes to the school boards, it does take parents and citizens to get involved with their school boards. But we know that these elections are insanely expensive. I am talking about there is in, in the realm of, of power, okay, just being honest, in the realm of power. Um, you have, I would, I would say, I would, I would argue that state house reps might have more, uh, a quote unquote power because they're passing state laws than a local school board member has. However, when you look at some of these local school board elections, there is more money being dumped into them than there is for some of these state house races by far, sometimes by doubles or triples. You know, an average state house race may raise 40, 50K the entire election. There are school board races that raise 80K, 90K, 100K in the state of Kentucky. So what that means is because these school unions get super involved and it's a super big thing for special interest to control. And so, yes, it takes parents getting more involved, but are we shifting more power to be able to be taken advantage of by these school special interest school unions that are dumping thousands of dollars into elections that then it takes somebody else having to be able to raise thousands of dollars. I mean, let's be honest, my own election, we've raised a fair amount of money. But the problem is, is most people can't do that. 
Most people can't do that because they don't know enough people. People don't know them. They don't have a track record like I do. And fundraising off the grassroots the way I've had is very difficult. And so most people running for a state Senate seat would have to normally get involved with special interests or other people to fund them. I mean, we see it all the time. I mean, you go through, you can look at almost any state senator except for one or two and look at who's donated to them. And you can see a who's who, a political interest and current people in office and everything else. I mean, you literally can see a list of other campaigns have donated to them or corporate PACs are donating to them because it's just too expensive. It's too expensive and the and people don't donate enough because they don't have candidates that come out there and know how to message correctly all the time, right? And so we see this with the school. And so the question is, is are we giving more power to the school boards, which maybe we are, right? Uh, maybe we're not because once again, those school boards are in charge of hiring and firing the superintendent. The superintendent is actually under a lot of control from the Kentucky Department of Education at the state level. So are we giving more power to the centralized government state level? I don't know. It looks like it to me. Looks like as I read the bill, that's how it reads to me. And then also as well, are we making it where um, there's more, um, there is more at stake in these school board races now that curriculum's involved compared to if you had a site-based council majority parent, you know, you're talking... Uh, you're talking, you know, 400 positions being elected every year. I mean, it'd be impossible for the unions to get involved on parent side of that election. That'd be very difficult, which means that the chances of the school unions and school special interests getting to uh, run your curriculum, I think is, well, I don't think, it looks like would be lower if under a majoritive site-based council situation. But I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to say that again. I don't know exactly how I feel about this bill because I always thought increasing site-based councils was the key. But then also as well, you have to ask, once again, you got to ask that question. Well, that locks out the voice of people who aren't parents, but are funding the schools from being in charge of the curriculum. That is something that I think needs to be uh, addressed if you believe they have a right to, to be in charge of that because we don't have the free market of ideas that we would with school choice. And there are some nuance there. And I think when we look at SB1, it's worth conversation and it's important to watch it because I think it will change a lot of our schooling. And the hope is, is if it does pass, that it does bring about a more standardized curriculum that is free from things like CRT and gender theory and all those things because parents can now, as they're doing more, hold school boards accountable for the curriculum. That's the hope. And I hope that happens. But what I what I also hope is that here in four or eight years, this doesn't come back to bite us if and when a Democrat like Bashir is back in office and now can, can control the curriculum at these schools right there from the governor's office. That is a concern I have under the current SB12 as well. And I think that's a discussion worth having. So that's SB1. Now let's get to that 40% tax increase that everybody's talking about. Or maybe people aren't everybody in your circles, but just I'm hearing about it in a lot of places. So I want to talk to you guys about exactly what it is. So um, word is Governor Bashir sent out a letter. Word is, I mean, I've seen pictures of the letter uh, that said that automobile registration was going up 40%. So that's a 40% tax increase every year when you're registering your vehicle. Now, this isn't 
a tax increase in the traditional sense. So remember when we said that when you sit there and you pump money into the system and you create inflation, or maybe you've heard this saying, inflation is a tax on everybody. Have you guys heard that before? I've heard it before. Well, here it is. Here's your tax on on everybody coming in with inflation. So when the prices of things just go up, but the percentage, but the tax is percentage based. So sales tax, 6%, you know, here in Kentucky, um, your registration tax percentage, your ad valerium taxes, that's what's called. Um, they, they vary based upon where you live at. So for an example, everybody gets a chunk of your vehicle uh, uh, tax, whether you like it or not. Um, they're getting a chunk of it. I mean, the sheriff's department does clearly. Uh, the city does here in Lexington. The health department in Lexington gets a chunk of your vehicle registration. So it it's all there. And so when you're paying this and, and when inflation hits and the prices of things soar, so the average price of vehicles has gone up 40%, your tax increases along with it. So that's a 40% tax Increase. So it's not like they sat down, they passed a law increasing your tax 40%. They have looked and said, well, the average price of vehicles has gone up 40% over the last two years. So you are now going to pay 40% more for your registration. And frankly, I don't know what to tell the people on that. Because this is what happens when we have um, situations where government can tax you on unrealized gains and property tax on speculation. You know, that's why one thing with our campaign, one of our move forwards is on property tax, we're going to say you cannot assess the value of a home. You have to assess the value of a home based upon its last sales price. Because I know here in Lexington, I know a lot of places, they got this where they got sent uh, letters where their property tax was being increased because the property value of homes had gone up in the area. And so if instead we'd switch to saying, look, you can't just claim now that you're increasing my taxes because you believe my home's worth more. I've never sold my house. The market has never spoke about what my house is exactly worth. And it happens to people all the time where they're paying property taxes on a mountain. They end up selling their house, uh, you know, and they either sell it for less or even sometimes more than a property tax amount. So letting the government come in and frankly speculate on the value of your home is ridiculous. And so therefore, that's why one thing on, on the campaign there we promised to do is to file a bill that would allow, that would only allow property tax to be assessed at the time of sale or purchase or, or where the market can speak on what the price is. But that doesn't address property tax as a whole. Now, there's, there's a lot of saying here where property tax um, can be, is, is an issue. Right? Is it an immoral taxes? And what I mean by that is, and I think most of us could agree that income tax is immoral. And I believe it's immoral because the government is getting paid before you can even feed your children. And in this world, you should never be taxed before you even get to feed your children or provide the basics for yourself. Because that's like saying that the government's existence to, to lord over you is more important than your existence. And, and I have an issue with saying that because you do not belong to anybody. You do not belong to your government. And when your government says, I'm getting mine before you get yours off your own hard work, well, that's wrong. But when it comes to property tax, there's some, some discussion on, is that an immoral tax or not? And, and that is true. Now, I think a large part of it is because of how high the property taxes are on most of these things. Because you literally cannot afford to own something you have purchased from somebody else because the government is insisting on getting its 
big on getting its percentage off the top every year, paying it for its protection. And so that's where we definitely got to take a look here at how we're taxing and directly address it directly. Is there a way we can deal property tax? Certainly there's a way we can deal with income tax. Is there a way we can deal property tax? And if that means the government has to cut back, then government needs to cut back. Now, of course, despite all of this, I fully expect if it has not been proposed yet, the state legislator put forward a gas tax bill to increase your gas taxes because the roads just need more money. Despite you paying more in registration, despite you having to pay more for vehicles, despite you paying more at the gas pump, they're going to say, you know, I, we just need more money. And you can see it coming. I can see it coming. We can all see it coming from a mile away. They try it every year. And we're going to have to stop it again this year like we do every other year. But that's what we have to watch out for and, and be on alert for. So this 40% tax increase is simply because the value of vehicles has gone up. And so it gets automatically increased. Now, I would be well more than in favor of certainly, and, and I'm sorry, but even the the most swamp rat Republican out there that it possibly exists should at least be enough of, of to pretend Republican to be in favor of putting a limiter on increasing a tax like this by 40%, regardless of what the values have gone up. Because this is a way to really make inflation, government-caused inflation, bite you in the butt. I mean, look, you're getting inflation from the government pumping money in, and now the government's going to come in and rake in 40% more a year off your vehicle registration taxes because they've pumped in more money to cause inflation. See, government kind of likes inflation. This is why, because they pull out loans. Loans are worth X amount. But as inflation goes up, the value of the dollar goes down. The real cost of that loan goes down because you just have more money coming in. You just have more money coming in. So the government actually kind of likes inflation sometimes because it helps them do more, pay more, borrow more, and pay and makes their debt look less because they're bringing in more money. So we need to, even, even the worst of Republicans need to at least be able to say, look, you can't jump it by that big of a percentage, regardless of what it is. Regardless of if that particular value going up, you cannot bump everybody's percentages by X amount. That's ridiculous. That's out of control. You just don't need it. Because while vehicle prices have gone up by 40%, the cost of roads haven't gone up 40%. The, these budgets at all these places like in Lexington, the sheriff's office and the health department, all of them, they're not going up 40%. It's not like everything's going up 40%. It's just that one item. And to tax you more for the privilege to own an item that through government... Um, produced inflation and government produced labor shortages has caused to rise in price. They're getting you on the cost of to purchase it. And now they're getting you on top of that. And it's all quite frankly, ridiculous and it needs to stop. Well, thank you guys for joining me. As always, please share this with people, let people know, uh, make sure you sign up for alerts from our pages. So when we go live with these, you'll be on top of it. We'll probably go live next week, probably Tuesday, Wednesday, next week and bring it, bring more news from the legislator and more news about what's going on out there. Thank you guys.